Hi, I'm Stathis, your host. Before we jump in this episode, let me introduce DevRelX. DevRelX is a hub for developer marketing and DevRel professionals. Stay home while DevRelX brings you rich content to boost your DevRel game. Access developer population insights, news, job openings, and more. Discover how to empower developers and grow communities at devrelx.com. Today's episode will start with a quote from our guest. I think number one would be get the developer's perspective. Anyone at the company is unable to give you a perspective of somebody new. We have a saying, you can only be new once, meaning somebody who is already familiar with your lingo and your vocabulary and the API is just not going to be able to provide you with accurate feedback about what it's like to be a new user. Hello. Welcome to a new episode of Under the Hood of Developer Marketing. I'm Stathis, your host. Now our podcast is driven towards helping and empowering developers and also making their lives easier. So I'm excited to welcome today a man who takes great care of this latter part. For today's episode, I'm joined by Ian Jennings, founder of Hacksaw Developer Experience. Ian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Will you please introduce yourself to our listeners? My name is Ian Jennings, and I'm the founder of Hackser Developer Experience, and we are applying concepts of user experience research to developer experience. So um, do you want to walk us through your journey? What was the um, driving force or uh, the role model that led you first to technology founding Hackser? So my dad created utilities for the internet, um, especially Windows 95, and I grew up seeing him sell and support software products And as I grew up, I started getting involved in the hackathon scene, which are uh, 24-hour coding events where developers come together to build something over a weekend. And early in that scene at those events, we started seeing companies show up like Twilio and Stripe and SendGrid. And these developer advocates showed up and they started hanging out with these students or young adults who were getting started. And I thought that was just the coolest job. So... I was a developer advocate for six years, and in that time, I took a really big interest in driving developer experience. And again, this stuff is new, and I became sort of the authority at the company I worked at called PubNub in what was a good developer experience and how could we make this easier for developers. So it it sort of just came through interest, um, partially through my father, but then also through just genuine passion. and. As I got deeper and deeper into that area, I noticed that there were no tools and there was almost no support or documentation. There are no books. It's just a really new area. And I thought through all my experience, I really had something to offer into that space. Yeah, sounds like your father was also one of the pioneers in the industry, you know, taking care of these things. And now <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good thing that um, inspired you um, all the way to create your own company. So. Um, what would you say was a habit that you picked up in your childhood, but you still carry to work today? That's a really good question. Probably isolating myself in my room and, and coding for a really long time <laughs> is something I've been doing since I was really young. And it's funny to see that turn from something that's antisocial and nerdy into something that's really celebrated um, culturally. And if you look at something like the movie The Social Network, you see, like, for me, that's like a turning point where, like, being, you know, this kind of closet nerd person who's 
working all the time or building or engineering became really cool. That's definitely something that I've carried with me over, over the years. Yeah, the, the word nerd used to have a negative connotation, but I don't see it that way. You know, I see it as uh, now as something very positive. You know, someone who's committed to what they do and um, well read and yeah, force if you want. Yeah, exactly. I think there's, I think there's something there with de with developer relations and developer experience too, because a lot of a lot of the people that are acting as developer advocates or out there and, and pushing for this stuff are usually more extroverted and it, it's it's a rare role where that combines communication and it combines uh that kind of nerdiness too and i i think that there's something there's some kind of special like merge or, or, or venn diagram or something of of nerdy people and and extroverts who, who combine to, be, to get into this space right because they're sort of like public figures or something um yeah i realize yeah. i'm also talking a lot about uh um I, I'm covering a lot about developer relations, but I think it's really closely related to, to developer experience. Well, uh, it is, and it's uh, one of the reasons why we wanted to have you here on the podcast. I know what it is, but in the past, in this episode, we've heard developer marketing, we've heard developer relations, we have heard advocacy. So uh, for someone who doesn't know it, what is developer experience? So developer experience is the experience that a developer has as they're working with your API or technical product. And it comes from user experience, which is the idea that if we observe these people working with the products um, and measure their experience, we'll be able to improve our products by learning where they encounter uh, friction or, or problems. But since developers are such a unique audience, we have a new term so we can focus solely on their needs versus that of a user. Users are typically more consuming. They are not investing as much time or effort into the product. Developers have their own environments, they have their own tools, they're builders, and things are a lot more complex. So we're treating it as a new field that can establish its own sort of, its own best practice. The way I understand it is uh, developer experience is also very closely linked to the onboarding process for a new product. Why is the onboarding process so important in a technical product or an API? Well, onboarding is equivalent to uh, any traditional marketing funnel. So this is the first experience that somebody is going to be having with your API or tool. And it's important for them to have a good experience. I have a really good anecdotal example here where I, when I was getting started working for PubNub, before I had even applied, I was building a product myself, and, and I had actually tried five different APIs to do what PubNub did before using PubNub, but all five of those APIs, none of them worked on the first try. So rather than try to figure it out or contact the support of those companies, I went to the next API until I got to PubNub, which was like the sixth one. And when I put PubNub in, it just worked. And after working there for so many years, I know why it did. They use a different protocol than a lot of the other companies had been using. but that's why developer experience is important because I was able to switch APIs quicker than I was able to solve my problems. I was able to switch APIs quicker than I was able to solve the problems by looking at, the, at those companies' documentation. And in return, PubNub got my project, but they also got me as an employee. And so for, for six years, I was there working for this company just because they had a good developer experience. And that's why it's so important. These people are making these 
huge decisions based on only one day or two days of working with an API or a tool. If you look at how much AWS spend is, for example, well, if I sign up for AWS and I hate it, I might not be investing my entire company's infrastructure in AWS. And that's, that's why it becomes important to, to make sure that these experiences are really great. What you say, developer experience is also closely linked to adoption, right? Developer experience is, is directly linked to adoption. Yeah, and I think going back to that question about uh, developer relations and, and advocacy, those are also closely related to adoption. Developer marketing, relations, advocacy, that's all about getting those developers to that point where they're going to have their first developer experience. They work in hand-to-hand, and often you'll see a lot of developer experience feedback coming from developer relations, coming from developer advocacy. And, and the whole point, yeah, is, is to drive adoption. Yeah, yeah. Well, makes total sense. You've been long involved in developer experience. What do you think has been your biggest challenge in this field? That's a really great question. The biggest challenge is the hardest part has been demonstrating the value of optimizing developer experience. And and one of the reasons for that is it's really difficult to measure. So it's really hard to show that investing, and this comes from developer advocacy too, we see the same thing. It's It's hard to show in numbers that investing in advocacy or developer experience is going to directly increase adoption. Now, luckily with developer experience, things are a bit more measurable and that's where Haxer comes in. But even with the numbers, it's hard to convince companies that this is a place they should be investing. And we can see that in the market, the companies who are investing here are doing incredibly well, but it's amazing to see the companies who, who still don't believe that this is a place that they need help. And, and I think it segues great in, into the great into the into some of the um, trends stuff. It makes perfect sense, and yeah. um, we've covered you know a lot of times how, how crucial it is to have a senior level sponsor for your um, developer program, and this also comes in this uh, in this case with developer experience. Can you walk us through about uh, how Haxer does what it does and um, what you guys look to to see if something offers a good developer experience? So at Haxer, we test and measure your developer experience, and what that means is we take your onboarding process and we work with developers who record themselves while they get started. You can see a lot from when a developer gets started with your API. You can find out where they get frustrated, where they encounter bugs. You can find any typos they make. And what Haxer does is exposes ways that you can optimize your experience to to improve that process. So we work with hundreds of developers who sign onto your site and they go through your typical hello world. Most companies believe their hello world will take about 15 minutes, but in testing, we find that about half of the developers can't even get started. And if they do get started, it usually takes them about an hour. So testing is a great way to see how your expectations meet reality and effectively measure how well you're doing at optimizing your developer experience. So you can go back there and measure it every month, every quarter, and see, is it getting better or is it getting worse as we make changes and, and fix bugs? And- That's a huge difference, I think. You know, going from uh, saying that you should be bringing your hello world in 15 minutes and you know you have half the people not even reaching that point and the other half taking 
four times more the the time it they, it was supposed to be taking them. Yeah, a lot of developer companies are currently measuring the time from a developer signing up in the portal until they make their first API call. When we record the what I would call the full experience, which is about 30 minutes before that and 30 minutes after that, we see that developers typically spend 15 or 20 minutes just reading the documentation before they even sign up because they want to know it's going to work. I consider that a part of the developer experience because that's also an opportunity for them to, to move on or choose someone else. But it's amazing because uh, we've worked with public, you know, Fortune 500 companies and sometimes five out of five developers can't even get through the onboarding because of some bug or problem or a typo. And these are these are massive companies, and this is a major part of their strategy. But yet, they've never seen that perspective before. Yeah, that's a that's a big issue, you know, the, the way you say it. And uh, the the good thing in the way you do these things is that you have, you know, developers recording themselves give you direct access to the whole process from start to finish. So, from what you've seen, what is the the most common things that vendors and companies could do for a better developer experience? Or if you want, what are the things that companies are doing good regard, with regard to developer experience? As far as commonalities go, every company has bugs. So all the documentation, every, all the companies have bugs. And that's just a, a go-to. It's an, usually the low-hanging fruit. They're easy to fix. Just go have some developers sign on and find out where those typos are. Another common but very difficult problem that companies have is information architecture. Every company has made its own decisions on the languages to support, on the APIs they want to prioritize, the products they want to prioritize, and organizing those in a way that makes sense for a developer getting started that aligns with the business goals is really, really tough. And we're seeing all sorts of crazy things in, in the market right now. Personally, I just was working with an API called um, OpenTalk, which was bought by Vonage. And they have a tutorial navigator builder, meaning you enter in your use case and it, it determines the tutorials that you should be following. And to me, that's another attempt at solving this problem, which is every, you know, contrary to like a user experience where there maybe there's a few paths, with developer experience, the first person might be working with JavaScript on the web, and the next person might be Java on mobile. And those people both have to have a great developer experience. But it's rare that a company is going to give them both quality experiences. And there's a, a whole bunch of reasons I can go into why, but typically it comes down to what the company's prioritizing versus what a developer is trying to get done. So I, I think a, a large a couple of things I'll say is that a really common problem is information architecture. A lot of these companies don't have the information organized in a way that makes sense for the developer experience. And a really, really common problem we see is that companies or onboarding documentation will drop a developer off at what I'll call a cliff edge. For example, a download button. And they'll say, download the SDK, but then they don't offer a guide or like the first steps. And so there's a lot of just dumping these people off in, in, in these one-way streets where there's no further, there's no step two. So that's a really common thing. And, and, and the next one is 
releasing SDKs which are unsupported. So there's, I mean, it's it's an incredible amount of work to release and support and document an SDK. And and as companies play these numbers games, they're trying to support you know 70, 80 SDKs in all different languages, you know, whatever. But typically, it's better to have a lower number of SDKs and a higher quality of of support there, um, and just really target those major platforms uh, where most of your developers are going to be anyway. In summary, if you want frictionless onboarding and experience, you should fix your architecture to make sure that uh, everything's in place and don't leave developers or SDKs hanging. Is that a good summary? I would say, yeah, try to find ways you, and, and in general, try to find ways you could be helping the developer who's onboarding. So if there's a relevant article, if there's a guide that could be in that document that they're on or that page you're looking at, put it in there and let them and link them to it. You know, that's that's really what we're seeing is just it's not that the information's not there. It's it's mostly that it's it's not being referenced. If you had some you know quick tips for someone who who wants to offer a better experience, better onboarding experience, uh, what would you say that okay here are the three or five things that I suggest you should do to achieve that. I think number one would be get the developer's perspective. Anyone at the company is unable to give you a perspective of somebody new. We have a saying, you can only be new once, meaning somebody who is already familiar with your lingo and your vocabulary and the API is just not going to be able to provide you with accurate feedback about what it's like to be a new user. Um, number two would be be consistent. So try to find places where vocabulary changes in between your marketing pages and your documentation. The marketing page might reference a variable as X while the documentation might be written by an engineer and that's, that says the variable is called Y. So find those little inconsistencies created by your, your different teams. Next I would say is segment the audience by language and by platform. So try to get developers into a place where they're working with the language that they're working with and they don't see anything else. So if I'm Working with web, I don't want to see anything iOS or Android. I don't care about that. And that's just, that's just cruff. I think a lot of companies struggle with this. You see a lot of dev portals where this stuff is just all over the place. Number four would be take a look at that information architecture. So in the same way as you're segmenting, look at the organization and make sure there's a clear path from uh, zero to one. Typically, we see tutorials being hidden as sort of an afterthought when often they're the number one way people get started. Make sure there's a place to go after you click download, stuff like that. And then finally, I would say just identify those bugs and typos because those things can be really frustrating. If you can go through and just test the developer experience with a few developers and have them report when things are inconsistent or wrong, I'm finding bugs in, in almost all the documentation that we test, we find typos. So there you go, there's five. Uh, I love how you connect uh, you know, number one and number two. It's uh, for someone you know who comes across uh, this product and it's something completely new to them, they need to first you know understand what it does. So, as you said, it, it's you have your own lingo and you might be using it, but it's very hard for someone who is new to all this to connect the dots if you know the dots are different or it's the same dot with two different names. So yeah, I can I can see there how yeah. how this could make a huge difference. That's a really really good point. Um, overall, like. I think what we're dealing with is a problem where there's simply too much information a lot of times. 
I think that these developer experience teams are drowning under all the documentation and information that they have that they're in charge of. And often these are small teams, so it's it's really difficult for them to to, to organize and and, uh, and deal with this information and and curate it in a way that makes sense for each experience. And I think that a lot of what we're seeing is, and a general rule for usability is you know simplicity, right? We want to have reduce the amount of information that a developer can see that's irrelevant. So try to get them toward the most relevant information as quick as possible and, and also remove the other stuff that's irrelevant. So yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. So it's a really overarching theme, which is we I don't think we've seen a landscape where there was so much information and so much possibility. And that's why I think this I, I think developer experience is just going to be a massive field. It's unlike anything else where there's so much um, every customer is essentially building their own experience. It's, it's actually, we rarely, have a, we rarely have these environments where there's so much information. Usually we're desperate to produce information and try to fill in the blanks. But here it's like, don't show me the iOS, don't show me the Android, don't show me the web. I'm trying to do something for Apple Watch, you know? <laughs> It's an effort to, as you say, to cover all the blanks, but you end up creating more noise than yeah. uh, being helpful. I mean, I think from, you know, bringing in all that might seem relevant to that. Yeah, I've, I've seen, and I'm just, I'm just full of antidotes, but I've, I've seen some tests where the, you know, the Node.js documentation was the landing page. And so even if you tell a developer, hey, can you try this Java SDK, they get stuck they're going to see that on the homepage is Java, JavaScript. They're going to go and try JavaScript because they think that's the recommended language. But it, it, but it wasn't. It just happened to be the one that was the first one. So like, there's, there's all these kinds of things where the, the way you organize your information architecture is actually recommending to the developer how they should work, too. It's kind of saying, like, these are our priorities. And so you want to have your priorities aligned with what the developer's priorities are. Yeah, that should, that should definitely be the number one priority. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you love most about the work you're doing? That's a that's a good question too. What I like the most about it is, at the end of the day, we're improving accessibility. So by making this stuff easier, it's allowing developers who are the modern day creators or one of the you know the largest segment of creators right now build their own passions and, and achieve their goals. For everybody who gets started with an API, for some people, that also might be the first time they work with that language. So if I'm getting started with you know, Twilio and Java, I might have just started working with Java that day. These companies are a part of this learning experience now. And it's essentially, um, you know, it's educational content. And so I think that for me, there's a lot of satisfaction coming out knowing that we're saving people time and that these people are working, these developers are helping build their own passion. And we're helping them achieve their own goals together, right? It's like me and these companies and we're all helping these, these builders work on these dreams they have. You know? And that's, to me, that's super cool. And I, the mission of Hackser is, is to increase accessibility and reduce the time spent on, on these duplicate tasks that maybe every developer who's onboarding is getting stuck on. We're trying to help innovation happen faster, essentially. 
improving accessibility, I think it's a noble cause by default. So even if they, you know, in this case that you you are helping guys, as you said, you're helping builders build, utilize, you know, the dreams they have, the ideas they have that might be a thing that could change the future as we know it. And speaking of future, uh, where do you see, or how do you see developer experience growing into? What do you see in the future? I think in the future, we're going to see a lot more standardization. Right now, there's a lot of experimentation into what makes a good developer portal, how should we organize our documentation, um, how do we segment developers, like I mentioned, um, how do we measure this stuff? There's just so much unknown right now, and I think over the next five years, we'll see a lot more standardization, and I think one big opportunity for that is a standardization of documentation architecture. So. I think that there's an answer to how to structure documentation. It's something that I'm definitely researching. But for other things like measurement, I mean, that gets a little, that gets a little case by case basis. I think that we'll see a lot more resources and I think we'll see a lot more just investment in this space. Um, if you look at the way APIs went, I mean, APIs were, very small and there wasn't any standards or practice for a long time for you know for like 10 or 10 or 15 years apis were just they're being monetized but there wasn't really any you know we didn't have like readme io and all these other like sort of developer tools and and, and platforms that popped up but now we do right we have we have uh swagger or, or open api and these you know kind of specs coming out that standardize how things should be done and those those are very helpful for creating um for reducing the barriers to communication and, and creating standards. I think for developer experience, we're going to start seeing certain documentation features become standard or certain organizational um, trends become standard. And I think that's great because that'll make things easier to use. Uh, if there are any developers listening to this, the future cannot come soon enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is a utopic um, experience that you, you discussed there, but. Uh, yeah, I think this is where we're going to and where we, we should go. In our last episode, we introduced a new section in the these podcast episodes we called Let's Talk Data. What we do is we visit DevRelX, our DevRel portal, where we feature free resources. You, Ian, uh, pick a graph that stands out to you from our trends page. Then we'll talk about why it stands out to you. I will add the link to the episode description for our listeners. Have you picked your graph from derelex.com slash trends? I've actually picked two. Yeah, um, I really like this report. It's, it's, as I'm mentioning too from the last question, it's hard to find this information. And the agencies and companies and, and that can produce this sort of, uh, these sort of metrics and stuff are, are going to be incredibly helpful to, to making this stuff easier to, to, to navigate, basically. Um, uh, yeah. I just want to say that this is uh, all these results come from our uh, developer economics survey, which is a survey for developers, and we get around 40,000 answers per year uh, from developers from 165 countries. So uh, what we showcase here, and it's the stuff that we want to share with the world because we are more is we want to help the world understand developers and developers understand the world. Yeah that you can use this data to, to get to know developers, what they want, and address that. 
So this is why we created the trends page here, which is uh, free for everyone to access. Uh, but we also, you know, want to see how people interpret this data. So yeah, which one did you pick out? And uh, once you said plural, so yeah, that's good. Sure. So the the first one I picked is the developer program benchmark: Google, Mozilla, and Microsoft lead the pack. And this is a XY. Um, graph on the bottom it says developer satisfaction and it goes from negative 20 to 25 a weighted score of program features out of 100 and on the y-axis it says engagement the percent of program users that use resources at least weekly so on the y we have engagement on the x we have satisfaction and on the top right, which is the most engagement with the highest satisfaction is Mozilla, Google, and Microsoft. When I look at this chart, I think, you know, those are massive companies that have huge budgets to spend on this. So it's great that they're allocating some of that money toward developer satisfaction. They're also companies where developer experience, developer relations, and, and developer tools and APIs. It's a massive part of their strategy. You can see that with Microsoft, Mozilla, and Google, of course. I think the one thing that struck out to me about this graph overall, so it's not surprising to me that those, those companies are up there, but the rest of the companies here um, and to the far left, which means unsatisfied, we have Twitter and Tencent, SAP, Alibaba and Samsung, IBM, AMD. I mean, there's just every other, you know, uh, Fortune 500 company you've heard that, has, that does developer stuff. They're over there on the left. And overall, the, their range of this chart goes from, even though it's surveyed out of 100 to 100, it goes from negative 20 to 25. So in general, what it's telling me is most, <laughs> the engagement's really high because the, the, the engagement's about 65%. But when we look at satisfaction, everybody's leaning from like a rating of negative 20 to five, which is in general telling me that developers are just unsatisfied. And even if you're Google or Mozilla and you have seven, you know, 70% engagement, you're only going to get a satisfaction rating of 20. That's just like, you know, I think that like that shows you what we're talking about here. It's, it's, it's a small range. And I think these, there's a lot of opportunity on the, uh, to, to get better at this because a majority of these companies are just have negative satisfaction rating. Yeah, that's Does that make sense? That. Did I interpret that right? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. You know, the, the data is there to, to show exactly what you said. And I think it's an also indicator of how critical the developer audience is. I found another chart. It's called How Developer Marketing Experts Segment Their Audience. And I really like that because it shows where marketing experts are targeting their budgets. The top number one rated um, segment is the industry, vertical, or app category. I think that makes sense, right? Because you want to, if you're a payment processing API, you want to find developers who are doing payment processing. That makes sense. But then, strange, we get geography as number two segment. And as we go down, we get professional versus hobbyist, and then type of development, target audience. So if we look at those three geography, hobbyist or students, and type of development, um, it shows, these show the marketing priorities, right? I think it's strange that geography is there because either that's so general that it's just a given or we're, we're seeing people only target developers in San Francisco. I don't know, I don't know exactly what that comes down to, but 
you know, developers are everywhere. The world is global. And, and the, when I work as a developer, I might use a SDK that's written in Chinese because it was produced by Alibaba. And it's true. I mean, I have used these SDKs and it's like the SDKs in, in Chinese, right? So like geography, I think is, is strange because I don't, I don't think it's actually geography. I think it's language or maybe it, it's spend or something. That's, that one's a little, I feel outdated. And then, and then professional versus hobbyist or students is interesting as well, because if we look at the strategies of like Twilio, they were investing in students for years. Um, it seems short term to me to look at only professionals. I don't think marketing experts are looking to target hobbyists or students often because they're looking for people who are spending money. So I think that that's a disconnect. I think that students and hobbyists are a great place to invest because those students in four years will leave university and they'll become employees of a tech company where they're in charge of making some decisions. So the payout might not be immediate like it would be with a professional, but there are companies who this is a valid strategy. Company size, again, I mean, these like I, I think a lot of these ratings are representing short-term outlook. Because if we're looking to, if, if I were to look at what the maximum would be for each of these ratings, it would be a large company that was full of professionals doing exactly my kind of development in my own geography. Those companies are also going to be hard to sell to because they're probably already invested in some other platform. It's going, those, I mean, this could, this chart can might as well say that um, developer marketing experts are targeting enterprise companies, but there's a lot of opportunity on these other ends because people make technology decisions long before they become enterprise companies. Um, and enterprise companies definitely are obviously huge deals, but as we know, developer marketing is a grassroots effort. And what this tells me is that what most people are doing is a top-down effort. And that's, that's, that's what I would say about this. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, totally agree there, everything you said. And uh, thank you for, uh, for this thorough analysis. <laughs> uh, yeah. Ian, uh, it's been great talking to you. For our listeners that might want to learn more from you, where can they reach you? So you can find Haxor at H-A-X-O-R dot S-H, like a shell script. And you can find more about me at J-N-N-N-G-S dot com. My name is Ian Jennings, and it's been great to be on this show. I'm just always excited to talk about developer experience um, and, and, you know, get to know these other agencies in, in the space. And um, it's been great having you, Ian. Uh, for our listeners, thank you for listening to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, the podcast devoted to developer marketing and relations. If you want more episodes and resources, including industry news, or if you're looking for a new job, make sure to visit devralex.com and subscribe to our bi-weekly digest or follow us on Twitter at slash data HQ. Thank you very much, Ian. Thank you.